You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Now we know why we have technical issues on Sundays. So uh, it's good. I, I don't know about you, but that's actually that's one of my favorite Christmas songs. Um, I don't know what it says about me, but it is. And, um, you know, hey, listen, I love other non-traditional Christmas songs as well, like Grandma Got Run Over by Reindeer. Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Blue Christmas, you know, Elvis's song. Um, here's one of, my, one of my favorites. If you haven't heard it, you need to go home, put it on your annual Christmas list. It's How to Make Gravy. Y'all heard that one? No. No, it, like, that's, that's disappointing. That's a great song that you need to know. And then, of course, the, the theologically correct song, The Little Drummer Boy. Because we all know that there was a little drummer boy at the manger playing the song when Jesus was there. So, yeah, you know, I mean, those, those are songs that we just, we take for granted. I mean, nobody's ever thought about Jesus didn't really have a drummer boy there. But we, you know, anyway. Um, and then you get to thinking about what are your favorite Christmas movies. And so you've got White Christmas, Christmas in Connecticut. What, what's some of your other ones? That your traditional Home Alone, A Christmas Story. I mean, the greatest Christmas, greatest Christmas movie ever is Die Hard. What? The Man Who Invented Christmas. Okay, so yeah, I mean, you know, there's all kinds of, all kinds of stuff. And um, anyway, so I might have some issues. I'm, I'm admitting it. Um, the Grinch had some issues, right? And uh, I mean, if you don't know the Grinch story, a quick glance is that the Grinch, as a young man, was made fun of at school because of the way that he looked, the way that he smelled, and all that different stuff. And he wasn't the nicest, um, is like a cat, whatever he is, he wasn't the nicest um, person. And so um, he wasn't treated nice as well. And so there was this whole thing. And so as he becomes an adult, he looks at Whoville, and he sees it as an opportunity to take presents from them and steal the joy of Christmas. And so he does that. And so that's... Um, in a synopsis, that's the story of Grinch. I won't give it all away just yet, but um, anyway. So the heart this morning is what we're going to talk about. Thinking about the Grinch had some heart issues. We have some heart issues. The heart is the center of physical life. We know that. When you go to the doctor, one of the first things that they check is your heart. They put on this little cool little thing called a stethoscope. They stick it there and they can hear it. Probably even as a little kid, you got to have the stethoscope and you got to listen to your own heart. You want to hear the heartbeat. The heart not only is the center of physical life, it's also in the Hebrew mind. It's the center of intellectual life. It's the seat of the mind and where the character and will comes out of that. As a matter of fact, you see that in Proverbs chapter 27, 23, verse 7, and it says this, As he thinks in his heart, or as a person thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, as we, the things that come out of our heart determines our direction, determines our thoughts, determines our actions. And so as Christians, our heart determines how we think and how we love and how we care for people. Even around here, we have a a phrase that we say, love does. And so in Christ, love cares for other people. The heart is also the center of our spiritual activity, right, and uh, how we operate in life. And so I want to show you a quick video. This is from a couple of years ago of a marathon. I wasn't there. I don't do marathons. 
Okay, just in case you were wondering. All right. Um, but there was a, was a marathon in Philadelphia. And there's a young lady who, like, if you are here, that if you're going to run a marathon, you prepare for it. All right. You practice your run so that you can go do this. And so imagine here's a young lady who she's been preparing for this. And she's not quite going to make it to the end. And so let's see the response of those people around her. To me, this is a wonderful picture of what our life should be like, especially as followers of Christ. Is there's going to be moments in life where we've put the work in, we've put the effort in, and we're not going to quite finish, we're not going to cross the finish line. And it takes other people to come alongside of us and to literally pick us up and to carry us across. And it doesn't mean that we're a failure. This young lady was not a failure. Because she had other people come alongside of her and help her. That is just what life is about. There's going to be moments in all of our lives where we can't quite cross the finish line in our own strength, in our own power, in our own wisdom. And one of the most important ways that we can't do that is in salvation. We can't carry ourselves across the finish line. And so the only way that that can happen is through the person of Jesus Christ. And so in this moment, this woman could have said no to those that came to help her. And we have a tendency to do that, that sometimes we're so embarrassed, our pride gets in the way or whatever it is, and it keeps us from allowing other people who see us in need that come along and say, hey, can I help you? And we say, no, I got it. Now, maybe that woman eventually could have crossed the finish line, but she admitted in that moment, hey, I don't have the strength, I don't have the energy, all of my training, everything that I've put in this event is not going to be enough to get me across Yes, you can help me, even to the point of someone picking her up and carrying her across the finish line. It's not failure. That's called community. That's called life. That's what it looks like for us as followers of Christ to have a heart that's transformed, that these two men gave up their time. They gave up, they had maybe planned for a certain time or whatever, and so they gave that up at the expense of themselves for someone else so they could together experience what it was like to cross the finish line. And again, that is biblical community, is that it's for all of us in Christ to work together in those moments where for whatever reason in a certain season or certain circumstance that we're not going to cross the finish line and others of us come alongside and say, hey, can I help you? And we together, the three, the four, the five, the six of us together in community, work together to get ourselves across the finish line 
And that we can then celebrate that not just us finished across the finish line, but we in community finished the line. That is the heartbeat of authentic faith in Christ. So this morning, what I want us to think about is where are our hearts at and what is the, the heartbeat of our life? And the heart is the center of the spiritual life. In Jeremiah 17, 9, before we have a new heart in Christ, Jeremiah 17, 9 says this. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. It's desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Can you imagine if God gave us exactly what we deserve for the thoughts and the actions that come from our heart? That's what he could do. But in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, Jesus shows us how deceptive our hearts is. He says, hey, those things which proceed out of your mouth come from your heart and they defile a man. So there are moments, maybe you've even heard it recently, where someone will say, hey, they say something and they'll say, oh, that's not really what I mean. Jesus says, actually, that is what you mean. It comes from your heart. Those things, when you let down your guard, the things that come out are actually what you really think and what you really feel. That is the truth that rings in your heart. That's what defiles you. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, the murders, the adultery, the fortification, theft, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things, the things that come out of the mouth that fester in the heart are what defile you. Even Paul tells us in Romans 124, God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. Our hearts are deceptive. Our hearts say things. They just kind of come out and our heart is deceitful. But here's the good news. Here's the good news of Jesus Christ. We see in Ezekiel chapter 11, God gives a prophetic word to the prophet Ezekiel. And he says this, he can see a day where the singleness of heart and I put a new spirit within them. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart. So they will obey my decrees and regulations. Then they will truly be my people and I will be their God. That there'll be a day where our stony heart that's deceitful, that's hurtful, that things come out, will be replaced with a new heart. Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. That there'll be a day where that stony heart is taken out. Even, even now we know, hey, when you go to the doctor and they're doing a check on your heart, one of the things they're listening for is to see if your heart is responding appropriately. Because over time, if you have the wrong diet, your heart begins to calcify and become like stone. It's unresponsive. And so here the prophet is saying, listen, the sins and impurities of life, if we allow them in, they make our heart unresponsive to the things of God. And so when God wants us to obey, our heart is unresponsive to the things of God. And so our heart is literally dead and dying. But the good news is that that calcified heart through Christ can be replaced and the old stone-filled heart can be taken out and a new heart can be put in that's responsive and allows us to be obedient to the commands of God. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 21 and following. This is a part of the story of the birth of Jesus. And, and, and 
Here there's this, this guy named Simeon who's just a regular guy that shows up on the scene. And it's an interesting story that we'll dig into here in Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 21. It says this, Eight days later, the baby was circumcised, and they named him Jesus. Now this, eight days later, this is a part of the Jewish custom that after eight days, a baby boy was taken to the temple and was circumcised. The parents would offer a sacrifice, and the child would be um, circumcised. And so... Think about the story. So a few days before Mary had given birth to Jesus, where? Okay, let me re- remind you. Let me get my little flannel graph out. All right. Jesus was born where? Yes. And where in the manger? Bethlehem, right? Bethlehem, the house of bread. All right. So he was born in Bethlehem. And then he has to make a journey. Mom, who's just had a child who's been walked washed in salt and put in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. Now, after a few days, has to make a journey, a few days journey down to Jerusalem so they can present it. So that's probably mom's. I haven't had a baby myself. Um, That's probably not an easy thing to do. You're on a donkey. You're carrying a baby. I mean, it's not easy work, right? Those of you that moms that have had babies, is that easy work? Now you're looking at me like I should know. I don't know, okay? I don't know. I've only heard stories and screams about it, okay? I've been called names about it. But that means immediately after a couple of days, Joseph's like, hey, I know you may not be ready, but we got a journey to make, you know? And it's not like they were pulling up the Lexus or the whatever. Like, like no, here's the donkey. We've named him Lexus. Hop on. And so they go down to Jerusalem for a few days, an uncomfortable deal, and they show up to the temple. Verse 22, it says, Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. And it should say son in the original language, it's son. And so whenever you would come to the temple to offer an offering, a sacrifice for your son, it's on the eighth day. And they would offer two turtle doves or two um, pigeons based upon their income, which tells us they weren't very wealthy people. Okay, they were probably middle class, maybe poor. Um, They had enough to purchase this for their sacrifice. And so they would go to Jerusalem. And so here's what Jerusalem looks like today. Okay, so where they would be going would be the temple of King Herod. Here's where the temple looks like today. That. That's not the Jewish temple, is it? No, that's the Muslim temple. It's their high place. They have, in about 700 AD, they established their temple on top of what was King Herod's second temple where Jesus. So Jesus would have gone to this physical spot. All right. And in that day, it would have been the second temple, King Herod's temple. And inside of there is a rock, which is believed is where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. All right. So it's a holy place for Christians, for Jews, and for Muslims, because we all trace ourselves back to Abraham, right? So this is the holy place. Now I want you to kind of pull back with me for a little bit. And there's a western wall and an eastern wall. And on the western wall, which you see right here, this is original. This is Jesus would have walked past this wall. Jesus would have touched this wall. And it's still existing. And so you're seeing modern day people. They're there praying. And the reason that they go to this wall to pray, one, it still exists, but it's also the closest one that would have been to the holy of holies. And so that's part of their deal of like, hey, we're getting as close to the old temple, to the old place of the Holy Holies, and they're offering their prayers. And so in Jesus's day, they would have been in the temple. Now, because there's not a temple, they're on the outside praying, okay? And then this is what these people down here look like, all right? So these are modern-day people that are there to worship and to pray. Just as it's in Jesus' day, Jesus would have worn these little boxes. Somebody said they thought it was a GoPro. 
Um, it's not a GoPro, but that would be kind of cool. Um, it's not. It's actually called a phylactery, and that phylactery is a little box. And inside that box is the Shema. They wrote out Deuteronomy 6, and they would have that written out, and that was there. So they have the word of the Lord on your mind at all times. And then also you see they have the straps around their hand, and they do that. There's specific rules about all that. And inside of their hand is actually another phylactery, and they would hold that over the heart. So have the word of the Lord in your heart and in your mind. And it's just a physical reminder, and Jesus would have done this. So actually, if you look in the New Testament, Jesus said, listen, you guys keep trying to make your phylacteries bigger and bigger and bigger as if that's going to make you more religious, as if that's going to draw God's attention, God the Father's attention. He says, listen, that's a tool to remind us of the fact that our hearts and our minds should be on the word of God and who God is and be obedient, that God has given us a new heart. So you see that this is common practice then, but also today. And so here, Jesus would have entered into a world. And so this is Jesus' world, okay? And so as Mary and Joseph bring their baby to the temple, there's so much history, so much there. And then in the midst of that, all right, we have this encounter with this guy named Simeon. Here we go. Verse 23. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a righteous and devout. Now, listen, whenever you have that moment, whenever your funeral comes, we're all going to have one of those days. I don't think there's any better words that something can be said about us is that we're righteous and devout. In other words, that we know God and people know that we know God and we live in such a way that our wake is one of righteousness and devout following of Jesus Christ. And that's what's known about this man. Even as he's walking around, people know him. Hey, that's Simeon. He's righteous and devout. He was eagerly awaiting the Messiah to come and to rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, here's what I want you to notice about Simeon is he's just a regular man. He's not a priest. He's not a part of the Sanhedrin, the ruling part. He's, um, he's not a politician. There's nothing. He's just a regular guy named Simeon who's holy and righteous and devout, and he's known for that. And the Spirit of God is upon him. And because of that, in that moment, he's eagerly awaiting the Messiah. He's led by the Lord to the temple like all the other worshipers. Verse 26. And he revealed to him, God had revealed to Simeon, that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present baby Jesus to the Lord as required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God. I don't know. Mom, would you have done that? Here's a guy you don't know, and you're like, hey, can I hold your baby? Mary's like, there's been a, quite a few weird things going on lately. You know, we had the shepherds show up, then we had the wise men, and they brought this trunk. You know what I mean? All this different stuff, and you're like, okay. And so he asks to hold the baby, and here's what he says. Sovereign Lord, now you can let your servant die in peace. As you promised, I've seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. Not just the Jews, but for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. And he is the glory of your people, Israel. That word glory is Shekinah glory. And it's 
Luke wrote this word with intention to help people understand that the same God that's showing up here at the temple is the same God that showed up to Moses on the mountain. And that when Moses had the encounters with God, he shone with the Shekinah glory of God and he had to wear a veil over him. So this same glory, it's the same God. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Again, here's one more thing. Can you imagine? This is why I believe that Luke was written written by Luke, but heavily influenced by Mary because of these little moments. I mean, it's, it's Simeon and Jesus and Mary and Joseph. How did he know? How did Luke know this story other than from Mary? Verse 34, then Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. This is a direct quote from Isaiah 8 and Isaiah 28, that it's a prophecy that the Messiah, and he's saying that this Jesus that I'm holding right here, he's a fulfillment of this prophecy that the Messiah will bring opposition, that he will divide people, that he will divide nations, and that although he is the cornerstone of new life, and he's the cornerstone of faith, and he is the new temple, he's the cornerstone of the new temple, even because of that, people will trip over him and not recognize him. So here's how I imagine it because I have issues, right? Here's how I imagine it. How many of y'all have stepped on a Lego? And you bless the Lord because of it, right? And you're like, who bought these Legos, right? So some of you, this next couple of days over Christmas, you're going to step on a Lego and you're going to know it, all right? How many of you have had to get up in the middle of the night or you got up and you kicked something with your pinky toe or with a toe and you're like... May the Lord bless that thing that just broke my toe, right? I mean, you know what I mean? Like you feel it and it trips you up and you just kind of, you're distracted by it. That's the image here that this prophecy is, is that people will step on the Lego. They will trip over. They will stub their toe on the cornerstone and they will be so distracted that they'll forget. They'll even miss what they've tripped over. That they'll be so distracted by the pain and the suffering and, and whatever else that they'll forget and not even pay attention to the cornerstone, the very cornerstone that they can establish their life on. The very cornerstone that can change their destiny, that can change their life, their eternal destiny. The very thing that they trip over on the cornerstone, the very thing that can build their life and have an unshakable peace. They trip over and grumble about it instead of receiving it. Look at this, verse 35. And as a result of that tripping over the cornerstone and stubbing their toe and the pain and difficulty, as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your very soul, Mary. This is again a part of the prophecy that if you remember on the cross, Mary was there. And as Jesus, his final moments, what do they do? They pierced his side with a sword, the prophecy of Simeon. But what's that say before that? The deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Do you really want your deepest thoughts revealed? Our hearts, Jeremiah says, our hearts are deceptive. Proverbs 27, as a man is in his heart, he thinks those activities, there's things that we've thought in our heart that we wish That we hadn't thought, but we for sure hope that no one will ever know that they're even there. 
And a part of the prophecy here that Simeon says is that, listen, when we encounter the living Christ, the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, he will reveal the depths of our heart. But he will still love us. He will know the things that you try to hide in the farthest recesses of your closet or your garage that you hope no one will find. That you just, you kind of sweep them away so that you can even forget about them. And he says, listen, I know that they're there. I've even seen them. I've touched them. And I know that they're a part of who you think you are. And I have still love you, even though that's a part of you. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what our truest, deepest need is, is that we can be authentically who we are and still loved. At the garden, Adam and Eve could walk around the garden totally naked and exposed before God without shame. And now, in Christ, all of our stuff is revealed. The fig leaf of our hearts are removed and it's all revealed. And God still loves us. So much so that he takes out the stony heart and puts in a new heart and gives us new life and peace that passes understanding. At the end of the story of the Grinch... The Grinch realizes they're more to Christmas than the presents underneath the tree. Because he thought that's where the joy came from, was from the presents underneath the tree. So he stole them. But then he realized that the people in Whoville realized that for themselves even, the presents weren't the gift. There was something more to Christmas than that. And so when the Grinch realized that there was more to Christmas than the presents under the tree, he gave them back. And when he gave back the gifts, his heart grew larger. As a matter of fact, it says three times larger. And for us, that's the gift that we receive when we realize that Christmas is about a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. That the tree that we gather around that has ornaments that we've put so much time and effort into making sure that it's just right. And as we open up presents, that that tree is symbolic of the tree of the greatest gift. The one that's not got ornaments all around it, but has the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus. That as we look at the tree this Christmas and we see the presents and we see the beautiful things, may we be reminded of the tree that was pretty ugly. And then that tree was the greatest gift ever given. The greatest present that we could ever receive is on an ugly tree. And Jesus said, this present is for you. The depths of your heart have been revealed. And I know who you are, but I still want to give you the greatest gift, which is me. And in doing that, if you receive this gift, I give you a new heart. And I exchange your stone-cold stone, stone heart for a new heart that's responsive to the gospel, that's responsive to the word of God. My prayer for us this Christmas, as we gather around the tree tonight, tomorrow, the next few days, is that you're reminded of the fact that the greatest gift is not in a box underneath here, But the greatest gift is on a tree 2,000 years ago because of a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes laid in a manger that we can celebrate new life and new heart. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the greatest gift. 
your son Jesus. The father that his story is one that starts off beautifully with gifts and treasures and stories and miracles. And the father that we over these last few days and, and even weeks we gather and we focus in on the beautiful story of a babe lying in a manger. And we forget that that babe lying in the manger, his gift is the tree. Father, I pray this Christmas season as we gather around with family and friends around a tree, may we be reminded of the greatest gift ever given in your son, Jesus. And that he willingly gave himself so that we could have a new heart. Not just a heart that grows three times larger, but a heart that is replaced and given a new. That, Father, we can have a new heart and a new life and a new purpose and a new destiny. And, Father, to to know that the, the things of our heart have been revealed and you still love us. Father, this Christmas, may we celebrate the greatest gift, which is your son, Jesus. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.